0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in today. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We may all find ourselves bearing the brunt of persecution, akin to the earliest disciples, uh, from civil government, imprisonment, property seizure, or worse. Thankfully, that is not the rule in in our time. I'm glad that we live in a time and place where we don't face those kinds of pressures and persecutions. But this is something that Paul said in the midst of people who were enduring those very things. While all that was going on, while he himself had been imprisoned multiple times by civil authorities... This is what he said in Romans 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So, those words were written again when an imperial cult was the dominant world authority and things were bad. Christians would be sewn into animal skins and fed to dogs, and others would be made to wear wax T-shirts and tied to trees, and then burned, if they didn't renounce their faith. And Paul didn't take up arms. He didn't try to start a revolution. He didn't uh, try to take on Nero, or Domitian, or King George the Third. He said, first of all, This is what he said, first of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so he was perfectly consistent in this message. Because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so we should expect to find that kind of cohesion that's in first Timothy two and verse two so Paul, along with all other apostles, would be severely persecuted by governing authorities of his day, and countless Christians would share his martyrdom and be put to death by those in power simply because of their faith for naming the name of Christ and then be branded a criminal a troublemaker. So he knew, Paul knew personally of their hatred. He knew that they were reprobates and the result and that he was suffering the consequences of their uh, godless idolatry. And that's why he was imprisoned and executed. And yet he did not incite rebellion or speak against the governing powers of his time. But he instructs us, Again, by the Holy Spirit, to be in subjection. Those are his words. Be in subjection to rulers. And the reason, he says, is that it is God who allows them to rule in verse 1 of Romans 13. So this verse is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. We may not share the values of those in power any more than Paul shared the values of the Roman emperors but we must remain in subjection to them. We must render to them tax, honor, and fear. Those are the things that Paul names in Romans 13 and verse 7, if you keep reading. So he could have lambasted the empire as unjust and and unfair, which would have been true to a large extent. Um, He could have said any number of things. Uh, but the spirit of god did not inspire him to do so. Right. All of those things have been true but in, in terms of our relationship to those authorities Paul says honor them. And that's indicative of the spirit of Christ, right? To do to do to others as you would have them do to you, right? We we would like to receive that honor and we would like to receive fairness from governing authorities. But we don't always get that. But nevertheless, that doesn't change the command of Christ to treat others the way you want to be treated. He didn't say do that if it's convenient or treat others the way you want to be treated You know, when you feel like it or only if they're doing the same to you. No. And that's not the rule that Christians live by. And so Paul says in Titus 3, 1 and 2, he commanded us, be ready for every good deed to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing consideration for all men. So we're still to serve. We're still to do the work that the Lord gave us and live as he has called us to live, again, regardless of who's in power and regardless of the right to bear arms or regardless of the right to vote even. And I mention those things specifically only because they're Um, hot-button issues. And so as much as we may love our country, it is not the Christian's real home. Come what may, we must push forward with the Lord's agenda, with the task that we've been given to do, because our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. Philippians 3.20 Unfortunately, the enemies of the church can be found to some degree in every human government. Uh, but the prescription is always the same. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, Matthew five forty-four and 45. We might ask the question, why? Because from a human perspective and trying to use human wisdom, that doesn't make any sense, right? We want to fight fire with fire, and we want to uh, rise up and, and be heard and be known and be treated fairly and have equal rights and so on and so forth. Well, the simple answer is, despite all those concerns, is that God said to. God says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Through Paul, that is, Romans 13.10. So love, Paul says, does no wrong to a neighbor. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. And so I'll say it again, just for the sake of emphasis, Matthew 7.21. In everything, Jesus says, in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. And so note the similar expressions there. The the fulfillment of the law, Paul says, love is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus says, doing this is the law. Is the law and the prophets. So there is no caveat to the effect that we should love, again, only when we are loved, or treating others the way we want to be treated, only if they're following the same rule. It simply isn't there. Bottom line is that the church of the Lord Christians, his his people are not to infiltrate, subvert or overthrow governments from a political perspective. We certainly are, that's not to say we aren't to exert our influence or that we are to hide our lights under a basket. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what Paul is saying. But he's saying from a civil and a political perspective this is what our response should should be. Now we can in Doing that, that's not to say we can't even work for the government. Certainly Christians can work for civil agencies and police forces and the military. I believe the Bible doesn't have any prohibition against that, and I think we find examples of people doing that, like Cornelius, for example, who converted in Acts chapter 10. He was a Roman centurion. And that's to our advantage if we are able to exert our influence in that regard. Right, If we live as Christians... In the civil government, we shine our lights there. That glorifies God. And it, others, others see that light just as Jesus said they would and glorify God also and are led closer to Him by the example of His people. But the point is, again, that are the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, Paul says. We don't have a literal sword and shield that we are... Holding out over people to try and bend them to the will of God, and that's not the way that's not the way that he wants people to come to him and be taught about him. Certainly others have tried that in the past, and to do so was sinful, and it cost them their souls. So it doesn't matter if Herod or Caesar or George Bush is an authority, or Barack Obama or Donald Trump, there is no authority except from God. And those in authority may be godless. Those in authority may be godless in more ways than Nero and Domitian. But that doesn't change the church's real mission and identity. And the church is the pillar and support of the truth. And we must sound forth the word of truth to, the, to effect real change in the world. That is God's way. So throwing in our lot with political activists and protests and organizations isn't going to give us much traction to meet that goal. I don't think those things are sinful in and of themselves, but I'm afraid many Christians give those kinds of things undue attention and undue priorities in their lives that really don't provide, again, much traction to meet the goal that we've been given as God's people, and that is to glorify Him and win souls for Christ the way that we do that is to teach people about Jesus is to treat others the way we want to be treated is loving others the way Jesus called us to love them you see we get so hung up on wanting to improve society and have leaders who are uh, godly and and want laws that conform with his will and and have uh, him as a priority. But you see, the way to do that, the way to accomplish that, God says, is not through a political means, is not through subversion, is not uh, through picketing and things like this. You want, If you want to improve society, if you want leaders to have some inkling of what it means to fear God, and you want policies and laws and mores influenced by scriptural principles, you teach, you teach scriptural principles, you teach people the gospel, now, none of those things I just mentioned—an improved society, leaders who fear God—none of those things are the ultimate goal of preaching Jesus. The ultimate goal is to win people for Jesus and His kingdom. But you see, the ancillary benefits of spreading the gospel and broadening the borders of His kingdom affect affect those things, affect society, affect those around us, affect our leaders. You never know how far the reach of the gospel is going to go. And so that's why it is our first priority. Not to argue from a human perspective or use human wisdom, because even if we couldn't see the benefits of the gospel in society, that would still be our first priority. But I'm saying that we can, and we can see on the pages of history, and we can see in the pages of the Bible the effects that it had on civil authorities. And so that should give us confidence and and even more reason to do so, to preach it that is, and to make it our top priority. And so finally Paul says in Romans 13 and verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Paul encourages us to put on Christ, to cover ourselves with his identity, his teaching, his spirit, so that when others see us, they will see Jesus. They will see him reflected in our lives. And this is something we must continually resolve to do. Make no provision for the flesh. That doesn't mean that we should neglect our bodies. That's not what Paul is saying. Rather, we should be careful not to indulge in in, in evil appetites that we find within ourselves or put ourselves in a circumstances where we'll have the opportunity to do so. We all come from different walks before deciding to follow Christ and before becoming his disciples. And we may have cultivated tendencies towards sinful behavior. And again, some of these tendencies will be different for each of us, and some will overlap, but we should take care that we avoid situations so far as it's within our power where we are certain that we're going to be tempted by those old tendencies and have them aroused. Someone once said temptation often comes through a door that has been intentionally left open. And so we have this exhortation, put on Christ. Put on Christ, but it not make things more difficult for yourself and your service to Him by intentionally leaving yourself open to temptation. Thanks for tuning in today. That was Romans 13, one of the last parts of our series in Romans. I look forward to studying with you again. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.